the Lord is always present. Be looking for the Lord. Don't turn your back. Don't think, me, me, me. That little part of my life was me-centered instead of Christ-centered. We're going to be the biggest store. We're going to have 500. We're going to do 80 million in revenue. We're going to, we're going to, we, me, me. It doesn't work. Taking the time to recognize that the Lord is with us always. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's the truth. That's the truth. These are the inspiring words of Paul Capsalis, author and speaker. And this is OSV Talks, a show where we explore topics from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the church. My name is Doug Tuke, and I will be your host. I was the captain of the number one college soccer team in the country at Indiana University in the mid-80s. I even wrote a book about it, To Chase a Dream Chronicles That Journey. But let me be honest with you, my gift wasn't that I was a great athlete or even a great soccer player. I walked onto that team. I begged the coach to let me stay, and it took me three years to get off the bench and finally see my first taste of action. My gift was this inner belief, this optimism, this hope, perseverance. That was the gift. Paul was one of our featured speakers for OSV Talks, filmed before a live studio audience during the week of October 5th, 2020. We also had the privilege of interviewing him about his life and mission. His full talk is available at osvtalks.com. His message is titled The Power of Perseverance. How does a college walk-on soccer player at Indiana University succeed? In his OSV Talk, Paul Kepsalis provides an inspiring narrative of hope and tireless appreciation for sacrifice. It's cool that I wrote a book and not everybody does about their athletic journey and their perseverance to get to where they got to. I don't want that to be my legacy. I want my legacy to be one who passionately, faithfully followed Christ down the path he wants me to go through the doors he has opened for me and not be disappointed in the doors that he might have closed. And I pray that each and every one of you can get to that same point in your perseverance journey. Paul, your story is incredible, and it uh, it just absolutely illustrates grit and obviously the theme of perseverance. But tell me what was going through you when you entered onto a soccer field and the kind of emotion that came with your desire to play, especially at the level that you did. When I stepped across the line, it was a it was a place of just to be myself. It was I can't really explain it, and it, but it was real. So the hard work came with that. It wasn't a um, an attitude that I was going to outwork you. It was out of pure passion and joy. I just couldn't get enough. If practice was over, coach, can we go another ten minutes? And wow. and it was just out of joy. It really was. I didn't know what my plans were necessarily. All I knew is that I wanted to keep playing after high school in the simplest form. I I just wasn't done. I loved it too much for it to be over. So how can I extend this another four years? That's basically the premise of why I continued and dreamed about playing at the next level. And I drove down to Bloomington to watch Indiana. I couldn't believe college soccer could actually be this. 
and it planted a seed in me, a, a dream seed, you know, uh, maybe an unrealistic dream seed, but, but I wanted to play at Indiana. I wanted to play at the best school in the country. And to the point that it, it, um, it, that question almost had to be answered for my, for my college career or my soccer career to come to a conclusion. And um, I reached out to the coach and he was very honest with me and Frank and said, not a chance. You know, you'll, you'll never play here. Um, you're a good player. I've seen you play and you're a nice kid. And, but you're not of the caliber and talent that we recruit. And he was very gracious and very honest and forthright and said, you're just not good enough. But here's what I'll do. We have tryouts about four weeks into the season. You can come to tryouts. There are no guarantees. I don't know how many kids try out. It's kind of an open deal. And there are no promises that anyone who comes and tries out makes the team. I can offer you that. And it was, it was enough of a window for me to actually think about that he was saying I have a chance, which is crazy, right? He was trying to be nice about the fact that there is no chance. But if you're willing to, here is one opportunity. I need to know the answer. I just need to know the answer. Can I do this? Where do you suppose this grit, this perseverance, this desire to succeed against all odds, where did it come from? And, uh, and maybe even, you know, how was it rewarded? I would have to say upbringing. I was raised and baptized Greek Orthodox, very spiritual. I'm in the middle of five children. We, we, we lived at the kitchen table. I mean, tears and laughs and hugging and kissing was an everyday thing. We supported each other. We all went to each other's events, whether it was a piano recital or a soccer game. We just, the seven of us did everything together. There was this foundation of belief of we support you, we love you, give it a shot in everything that we did. Um, never from a pressure standpoint, always from a supportive. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay too. I have to say that that's where it came from, other than the gift from God, right, that, that, that I was born with perhaps. Yeah, I think grit, grit certainly plays into that. Um, but the thing about it was that for me, once I made, you know, I went through that tryout and I made the team. The way I looked at it, I get to go to practice. I get to go do something I love. It may not be in front of the 10,000 fans that happens on Sunday afternoon. I'll be sitting in the crowd during that because I'm not going to be on the field. But, but I love doing it. And then I got into it and I, I started seeing what champ, how champions behave, behavior of champions. What? What makes these guys tick? How does Coach Yeagley build? How do you build a national champion? And, and what, the, what are the qualities of the players? I was almost like an apprentice in, in, in the place that you love the most and where you want to be more than anything with the best of the best. I wasn't exactly the most confident guy in the world. I think when I stepped onto the field is when I got comfortable. So probably if I could relive it, the two weeks leading up to it, the two days leading up to it, I was probably scared, maybe scared enough to say, mom and dad, I don't want to do this anymore. Come and get me. Um, I stayed with it and he kept one player after the tryout and it was me. And I, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe it. The next day, I showed up for practice, and he told me I was redshirting. I didn't even know what redshirting meant. We had reversible red and white jerseys that I saw the guys playing in, and I told him, I don't care what color I wear, coach. I wear red or white. I, I really didn't know what redshirt meant. Redshirt means 
you practice all day long, you, you'll never play any game. And basically, it's to preserve a year of eligibility. So it's typically done, in most cases, with, with, with the quality athletes, it's done only mostly through injury, right? For, in a case like me, it's for maybe this kid can improve. He's a project. We won't waste a year. We'll let him train, see if he can improve, see if he can get better, and still have four years of eligibility left. I like to think it was that. Maybe it was the fact of, you know, when I go through the redshirt year, maybe I'll wear out my desire knowing the uphill battle ahead of me, and, um, and, and I'll go somewhere else. So I redshirted that freshman year, and we won a national championship. So I was part of a national championship team. I was the 35th man on a 35-man roster. They'd have won that championship without me, I promise you. But I had an interesting way of looking at perspective. I, I figured there's thousands of kids that would love to have been in my shoes, right? And, and, and it's hard to go through, and it's hard to not play, and it takes a hit on your pride and your ego. You know, you're going to watch your own team play, and you're sitting in the crowd with your buddies, and they're looking at you like, are you on this team? Because you're sitting next to me. There's a lot of that that goes on, but when you put all that aside... I was part of something really, really special. Second year, I played some mop-up minutes. I, I basically would go in to a game with two or three minutes left when we're up 10 to nothing. I mean, literally mop-up minutes, right? But again, little steps along the way. My goal, dress for a home game, then maybe get in as a sub, then maybe travel with the team someday, then maybe start. I mean, there, was, there were little small building blocks that I had in my mind as how I was going to accomplish this goal. What are, the, what are the rewards that are happening? And even if they call in, come in small increments, they were enough of the nuggets to keep me wanting to get to the next one then. I never put timelines on anything. I didn't say, if I'm not this by then, I quit. If I'm not traveling by my junior year, I quit. So I, I didn't put timelines on anything. I was going to show up and do my work until they told me to go away. Third year, I broke my foot. And missed the entire season. So now I'm there for three years and I haven't played a lick. And coaches really don't know much about me other than they like me as a kid. The teammates seem to like me. I'm a good locker room guy. Because I wasn't, the one thing I wasn't going to do was, was bring anything negative to that program, right? That's the last thing I needed. Um, so from the standpoint of my character and, and what I brought to the table off the field, there was enough value there for them to say, stick around. But there were still no guarantees. Fourth year, I, I came in off the bench as a sub and started one game. And um, ironically, that year, we had a bad year. It was the only, only time in the 40-year history of the program that we didn't make the NCAA tournament. So a little bit of turmoil within, within the team, um, some leadership issues and things that led to us having a, a bad season. And then the next year was magic. Uh, can't explain it. That's incredible. How, how did it evolve? What happened next? Fifth year. So he, he coach calls me over the summer and tells me he wants to give me a partial scholarship. He appreciates all I've done. I was ecstatic. We show up for two days and the first day of two days, he names me the captain, myself and Bruce Killo. Um, traditionally, they had named captains after two days and the players voted. But in this case, coach said, it's my decision, and I'm doing it the first day of training, and he named me the captain. Those, those two things were never in my, in my plans, right, in terms of what, I, what my success steps were. Scholarship and captain were never part of that. I just didn't think those were realistic. 
I just wanted to play. So um, I'm a scholarship athlete and I'm the captain of the team, but I'm not in the starting lineup. Coach still didn't have enough trust in me as a player. And I'm not knocking coach. I, I get it. I just wasn't quite the caliber of player. But we started out the season two and three, and we were, we were in a little bit of a rut. The sixth game, he changed the lineup, and, and I started, and we went on a 16-game winning streak and all the way to the number one ranking in the country. What an unbelievable journey, and I know there's a lot more to that story. I'm, I'm just curious, Paul, about your faith background. I mean, what, what did it consist of? What, what was it like? Spiritual not faith going not church going i met i met my girlfriend now wife um two years prior started dating her just before i entered that that fifth year and i fell in love hard and quick and uh she introduced me to church she's catholic she just lived it she lived it and that intrigued me i was very intrigued by what is that that you have i want that i want that kind of life so she led by example I followed, and um, it started getting me thirsty in my faith, wanting to know a little bit more, dive a little deeper. Was church a part of your post-soccer career? What, what did you do next? What happened after this incredible journey at Indiana and the, and the game and, and just the unbelievable accomplishments that you illustrate so well in your book? But what, what was the next chapter? What what was the thing that, uh, that you kind of walked into after walking off the soccer field? My mom had started this store back in the early 80s. So I got, I got out of college six years later. She started the store. It's about as big as this carpet. And, uh, you know, she was, she had five kids that played soccer that had to drive to Chicago to get, to get soccer shoes and said, if nothing else, we'll open a store and our five kids can shop here. It was real simple. And her premise and mission statement was, we're going to treat everybody who comes in this store, employees, customers, vendors, as if they're walking into our living room. That was her philosophy. And it worked. And the timing of it was incredible because as soccer exploded through the mid-80s and into the 90s, she was on the front end of that. The business, as time went on, it, 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 by 2002, it was rated the number one soccer specialty store in the country. We had something special going on. We really did. It was a multi-million dollar business and it was it was doing, doing well. Um, I started then, you know, my brothers went a route of coaching and kind of exited the business and they coached thousands of kids and impacted thousands of lives. And they're still doing that today. It's amazing. And my parents kind of dwindled out of the business and I, I owned it. And that's when my brain took over. And this is, this, this is the difference. And this is where, this is where the, this is where I got in the way. Um, I, wanted to have 500 stores to be the finish line of the, right. And I don't know if pride and ego was driving that. I don't know if uh, pressure to be a breadwinner was driving that. I don't know if society was driving that outside noise saying, be someone in this society, make money, be successful, whatever that is. We got to five and um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the manpower. I had perseverance. So I roll up my sleeves, and if I needed to work 80 hours a week, by God, that's my gift, right? Spending time on weekends, working late in the evenings, spending all my time at the business, 
Now I'm compromising who I really want to be, which is a good father and a husband. I've got three kids at home and a wife. Um, I was in a tough place. It was, it was, it was requiring all of my time and energy, but it, there were no benefits being reaped. It was difficult. It was difficult. It was a difficult time in my life. And uh, I, I was torn. Working like crazy. Um, cash flow issues. Can we meet payroll this week? I mean, just consuming me. Just absolutely consuming me. How did faith play a part in, in all of those, uh, the difficult times with the business and in this incredible transition? So I was going to church but I, my mind was racing. You know, when is this going to be over? I've got stuff to do. I, I spent time in the Adoration Chapel. It was recommended that I do that um, for peace and quiet. And that was filled with anxiety. And when's this hour going to be over? And um, it was a time I, I remember just feel like I was taking, 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 you know, asking, asking, asking of the Lord instead of being present and listening and being silent and calm. It was desperation. It was 911 calls and SOS and help me, help me, help me. The only relationship I can remember in my life, and it's, it was a short-lived deal, but it was the only time I remember in any relationship where all I did was take, take, take. It, it just didn't make sense. But I was, I was, I was desperate. I mean, it was, it was a tough time. What happened with the business? It ended up uh, closing. The bank it, it ended up closing um, in April of 2006. Um, and as a sole owner, I was responsible for that and, um, scary phone call and day of my life for sure. Uncertainty, scared, failure. Um, what's next? Where do we go from here? A lot of emotions. You know, my mom had started it for others. You know, just let it, a lot of people down. It was hard. I did believe this, that there were one of three things that were going to happen uh, along the way, right? Um, I was going to lose my family because I wasn't the father and husband that I should have. I wasn't doing anything wrong, trust me, but I wasn't home. I wasn't present. And when I was home, I wasn't present. I was distant. I was consumed by this idle this business it had it had taken me over um that's unrecoverable for me i can't lose my family i was going to lose my health there were time i went into the hospital with a sore neck and they said you're having a heart attack i didn't even know it or i was going to lose the business and i think the good lord took the one that was recoverable um families i i can't lose that i can't lose my health you can lose the business you're going to be okay. Everything's okay. So yes, I do think there was someone, God speaking to me and actually saving me in some regard by taking what I could handle. The whole time my wife's going to church, right? Diligent, that, that discipline, that peacefulness, that strength, that courage, that reliance. That was a consistent message from her. It's what I fell in love with. And so, fortunately, I kept 
going to church and adoration and things started slowing down. What do you think changed for you? What kinds of new approaches or, or newer understandings? Being reverent in church, listening to homilies, reading again, start, right, start paying attention. Maybe something speaks to me that day for about three years. I explained three years prior, it was all racing and racing. And when can I get out of here? And suddenly it started speaking to me again, started understanding it, started getting this thirst back for, for what this is all about. What's the purpose? I just think your story is unbelievable. Uh, how, what is life now? What, what is this kind of post uh, incredible experience, the ups and the downs? Where, where is life for you now? What is it like for you now? My whole life's about relationships. And I mean, if you, if you read the book, it's about relationships. It's not, it doesn't really talk about soccer and how good I got at soccer. It talks about the relationships and the people in my life that, that literally carried me through that journey in some cases, whether my parents initially or my roommates. My wife carried me through that fifth year in a way that would have never happened. It was magical. Um, so yes, I went back to that source, the, the, the relationships in my life and making sure that I'm connecting with the right people now in this new desire to rebuild what I want this to look like. You've taken us on the incredible journey of perseverance, not only in sport, but of course in, in life experience and certainly the mission that you fulfill and all the goodness that you, that you lead so many people to, especially young people in your speaking and writing. It just excites me that you've taken a gift and applied it to so many different parts of your life. And when you applied it to self-service, you, you hit a wall and, and you realized exactly why the gift had been given in the first place. That's the whole key. Positively apply it to the right place. Christ-centered, not me-centered, right? Not about how many times I can juggle a soccer ball. It's not how many, about how much revenue I can add to the top line or costs I can cut to the bottom line. It's the same perseverance. It's the same quality. It's the same attributes applied in the proper channels through your faith, your perseverance in your faith, not in these things. It's interesting to me that that this perseverance was such a gift. And the only time it failed me was when it became about things and growth and success perseverance in finding inner peace, finding surrender, finding how to live joyfully. That's a perseverance. That's what I've been doing the last 14 years, pursuing that passion and, and really making that more purposeful. The Lord is always present. Be looking for the Lord. Don't turn your back. Don't think me, me, me. That little part of my life was me-centered instead of Christ-centered. We're going to be the biggest store. We're going to have 500. We're going to do 80 million in revenue. We're going to, we're going to, we, me, me. It doesn't work. Taking the time to recognize that the Lord is with us always. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you that's the truth that's the truth these are the inspiring words of paul capsalis author and speaker 
You can listen to his and all the OSV Talks at osvtalks.com. We hope you've enjoyed this show. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review our show wherever you like to listen. Contact us at osvtalks.com with your questions and or comments. Friends, innovative thinking is at the core of OSV, and OSV Talks is part of a much larger effort to be a catalyst for Catholic innovation. OSV Institute for Catholic Innovation, in partnership with ODB Films, brings you these talks from prominent Catholic leaders to spark discussion, explore new or re-explore old approaches, and inspire creative thinking, all from the heart of the Church. Until next time, God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit SpokeStreet.com.